Welcome to the Business of Beverages, drinks industry insights with makers, marketeers, and mischief. Hello, and welcome to BizBev Pod's actually weekly quiz now. It used to be bi-weekly quiz, now we're weekly for the, the duration of the month of September. It, it isn't this exciting. It, it is so thrilling. I, I bet you that there are literally scores of people out there who are so disappointed this isn't a real episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, all two of you are going to be very upset uh, to find a lot of uh, quizzes going to come in. But look, the quiz is the best part of the show, I always thought. Well, it's the most enjoyable for me. It's, it's good crack. Um, so with that in mind, Will, um, we, we do this for fun. We don't keep scores. So would you like to ask the questions first or answer the questions first? I'm going to ask the questions okay. first this week, Ooh. please. All right. Okay. So <clears throat> we all know the deal. For five points, one third... All of the worldwide sales of this drink occur in the UK. One third of all of the worldwide sales of this drink. We've had Iron Brew before. <laughs> yeah. So, are we not Brew? Is, oh, it, this is very niche. Is it Vimto? Ooh, no, it's not Vimto. Because I'm not sure that exists outside of the UK much. Or if, even if it still exists. I think Vimto still do, does still exist. But if it doesn't exist outside the UK, wouldn't 100% of his <laughs> yeah, worldwide true, sales true. be in the UK? Yeah. Well, it probably depends if you count the Channel Islands. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. For four points. Panic ensued in 2016 when a shortage of this product was reported. Sainsbury's, the grocer in the UK, withdrew all products following a spike in demand to prevent in-store chaos. This sounds really familiar, but I can't place it because so there was around that time there was kind of two things um there was a there was a co2 shortage yes which is probably not connected to this because then more than one product would probably be impacted maybe maybe not perhaps uh and then the other one was baby milk oh that's kind of ringing a bell yeah all right well that, that reaction tells me the answer is not baby milk <laughs> the co2 thing there's light there's light in that um what was it one of the the big British beers, the big, big British beers, which are probably not British originally, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, Britain. Yeah. <laughs> Why did Stella Artois and, and Foster's immediately spring yes, to mind? Yes, those are the two. Those British, are exactly the two that were in my head. The big British beers um, question. But mark. There, there was one. Uh, uh, was there an episode on Channel Four where they actually actively discussed the CO two shortage affecting Carling? Was it Carling? No, it was not Carling. Which I think, was there, was Carling originally a Canadian beer? I think it probably was. Carling Black Label? I th- that rings a bell. Um, okay, for three points. Secondary fermentation is key in this wine. But critically, it takes place in stainless steel vats, not in individual bottles, a.k.a. it is the Charmat method. Oh, no, that's throwing me completely now. I think, I think if you think and reflect <sighs> upon the previous clues... So a shortage of some sort of wine-based drink yes. that is predominantly sold in the UK. A third of all sales in the UK, but, but the, it, yeah, mm. that's, that's really significant for one country. Yes. Uh, wine-based. Correct. In fact, just wine. It's a wine. It's I a, went so far as okay, to tell it's you a it's a wine. wine. What wine almost ran out in 2016? I, I, weirdly, my head went to Bookfast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is a tonic wine. Yes, it is a wine, and it is carbonated, isn't 
excuse me, how would a pot boy like me know what Buckfast is like? Yeah, well, I wouldn't exactly be drinking Buckfast at the start of an evening, so, you know, my <laughs> taste buds on it wouldn't be entirely accurate either. Um, I, the, the wine thing has really thrown me because I was going to possibly guess about Blue Wicked either, um, which is, again, what, like, what, what do people in the UK drink? <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got a low opinion of the UK. So far, we've had Carling, Blue Wicked and Buckfast. <laughs> Any listeners that we have in the UK again? Not very many anymore. And a lot less after this quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm really struggling with this. Um, what is a quintessential wine? Blue Nun. No, I'm afraid not. Um, <clears throat> I, I think you need to reflect on more of the detail that was in that clue, but we'll, we'll help you out here. So, only nine regions and ten grape varieties in Italy are permitted in the making of this wine. Is it Prosecco? It is Prosecco. Ah, there we go. It is Prosecco. Secondary fermentation. What is secondary fermentation? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then for one point... What, what do British people love to drink? <laughs> <laughs> this is the definitive Italian sparkling wine and now outsells Cava and Champagne combined. I think the, there's a bar chain in the UK called All Bar One. Yes. And I think they do Prosecco on tap. And that was when they first brought that in, was in around 2014, 2015, which led to a spike in Prosecco sales. Uh, I genuinely, and I think I have posted on either Twitter or LinkedIn about this, I want to do an episode on how Prosecco became so popular so quickly. Um, and would love, there's lots of, I've read lots of interesting things about it, different, I got it, I got it. <laughs> uh, a little, little visual thing there, there's been a fly buzzing around the studio here for the last hour. And is, like, Will is wearing a bright yellow t-shirt and it is very much attracted to it. He's finally got it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we interrupt this program <laughs> to bring you news that it's actually a mosquito, I think, or some kind of, anyway. Oh, we, are up, we are up in the hills. Whatever it is, it's dead. It's dead. <laughs> um, so, I apologize. I was saying that I would love to talk to somebody about Prosecco <laughs> and I promise I won't interrupt those conversations with, you know, murderous intent. And I promise I'll be much less disparaging about my opinion of UK drinks. <laughs> <laughs> that is a well, promise I will not hold dear. Uh, congratulations. Two points. Two points. I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, well. Was that the, what was the final question? Uh, uh, yeah. It's the definitive Italian sparkling ah, yes. wine, which outsells Cava and Champagne combined. Perfect. Great. All right. I'm fairly confident you're going to get this in a lot quicker than two. You keep I, saying I do, that. I do, but this, this is one I feel you, you definitely know. So, well, for five points... This beverage was allegedly created by the French bartender Fernand Petio of the New York Bar in Paris in 1921. Would you believe I was reading about the New York Bar in Paris this week? No way. Yeah, because Sean from the Dead Rabbit was over there. Um, I was there. They're doing some kind of collaboration or something like that. And it was... It was created by it was it was founded by some guy who bought a bar in Manhattan and broke it down and shipped it wholesale to New York and recreated the bar uh, in 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 Paris uh, and he put a bartender in to run it and the, it actually then passed the bartender's family and it's been in the bartender's family ever since. Really? I, I didn't read anything about a drink that was created in nineteen twenty one. Allegedly, allegedly created. Allegedly created. Because what's quite interesting is that the bartender I mentioned there, Fernand Petio, ended up moving to New York himself a couple of years later. He's not the bartender who was running it no, and the no. family that owned it. Okay. 
Uh, I'm going to go for the French 75. Uh, it's a good guess, but it, it's not the French 75. But I uh, really want to hear more about the, that bar now. It sounds really, really fascinating. Um, but for four points, New York's 21 Club also claim ownership of this <laughs> beverage, but more particularly the name, which they say was created by comedian George Wessel in 1934. George Wessel? Mm-hmm. Um the slow comfortable screw that's a great name (laughs) (laughs) and and it is probably exactly the kind of name a two-bit comedian from new york would probably come up with i was kind of thinking (laughs) that that would you know what what's funny you know slow comfortable screw is it uh, it's actually funny name. I, I didn't say the name was funny, but I just said it was invented <laughs> by a comedian. <laughs> so am I wrong? You are wrong. Yes, yes. Good guess though, but um, God, long time since I've heard that cocktail mentioned. Mm. Um, so staying on the name, there are numerous stories as to where the name came from. Oh, with one, <laughs> With one of the more spurious being that it was from a failure to properly pronounce the Slavic syllables of Vladimir, as allegedly Vladimir Smirnov was served this by Fernand Petio at the time. That was quite a clunky clue. Do you want me to read it again? Yes, please. All right. So there's many stories as to where the name comes from. But one of the more spurious stories is that it was a, a stems from a failure to properly pronounce the Slavic syllables of the name Vladimir, as Vladimir Smirnov was allegedly a regular customer of the bar. So a mispronunciation of Vladimir. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what drinks sound like a mispronunciation of Vladimir, 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 Vladimir. Vladimir. Oh, I could be here all day. I can't think, I can't think of any. Um, I, I like how you pronounced it properly, even though it was a mispronunciation of the Slavic syllables. You double down on the Slavic syllables. Uh, I don't. I, this is obviously incorrect. I'm going to say Moscow Mule. Uh, it's not a Moscow Mule. No. Um, the, the, the Smirnoff clue might have thrown you off a little bit there. Yeah. But for, for two points, in addition to the two main critical ingredients... The other most common additions are salt, celery salt, hot sauce, citrus juices, horseradish, and Worcestershire Worcestershire sauce. That's easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody Mary. It is a Bloody Mary. How is Bloody Mary supposed to sound like Vladimir? If you have a French accent and you mispronounce it as a Flood Mary... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, know, like I said it was a very spurious one um, so for, for, for one point uh, other variations are called uh, Bloody Maria which is tequila a Ruddy Mary which is gin uh, Bloody Fairy which is absinthe <laughs> and the uh, Virgin Mary which is a non-alcohol version oh my goodness me yes because yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought alright I'll ask a couple of questions about Bloody Mary but the the ownership of the name really is is quite hard fought so there's also the, the 1921 stat his granddaughter claims that he invented it in the bar in 1921, something that he backed up himself, that yes, he, he made it. But then when he moved to New York, he took the drink that Wessel had named the Bloody Mary and improved it. Um, so they were just serving the straight up vodka and um, tomato juice, tomato juice, and he put in paprika and et cetera, et cetera. The Bloody Mary came from there. 
Another story was that uh, somebody else gave it the name because his girlfriend, Mary, was a cabaret dancer in some show that was called The the Bloody Troop or something like that. Uh, Listen, uh, all those cocktails have disputed histories is maybe the best way to put it. I can tell you a little fact about Bloody Marys. Um, so they're they're god awful. They they are something that stands out from my brief uh, but wonderful career as a bartender. Is that uh, occasionally I would get stung with the early Sunday shift. Ah, uh, yes, the dreaded brunch shift. The dreaded brunch shift, and what would happen is people would come in, and either I would make no Bloody Marys, or somebody would wander in at about half twelve and ask for a Bloody Mary, and then. Other people would come in and they would see the Bloody Mary and I would have to make 50 of the feckin' things. I, I well, well, apparently at the height of the Bloody Mary in the uh, 21 bar in New York, they were serving 150 per hour. Oh, that's a lot of I Worcestershire sauce. I, I don't like them. I do not like them at all. Um, again, when I was living in the US, big brunch thing on a Sunday, Bloody yep. Marys, absolutely god-awful. Like, didn't matter how hungover you may or may not have been, they are <laughs> absolutely awful. They don't work. I, I don't understand why you would willingly part money for one of them. And this episode was brought to you by the Bloody Marys <laughs> Association of the United States of America. No. Uh, listen, congratulations. Another draw. But I think uh, I think the real winner is the listener who finds out that there are about 50 million people who claim to have invented the Bloody Mary. Exactly. And have fun mispronouncing Vladimir to see if you can make it sound <laughs> like Bloody Mary. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Business of Beverages. It's been our pleasure to bring you this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and recommend us to one other friend or colleague. As ever, we are independently produced and self-funded, so we appreciate your support in listening, sharing, or reviewing this podcast. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter, where we go by at BizBevPod. If you'd like to support us further, you can find us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash BizBevPod. Shit. Missed that fly. (laughs) (laughs) Just released an episode of Outtex.